Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a weekly podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and with me to discuss the ongoing saga of the failure to fix the crumbling Palace of Westminster is Dr Alexandra Meakin, a politics lecturer at the University of Leeds and an expert on the Parliamentary Restoration Programme, Dr Ruth Fox, director of the research group The Hansard Society, and the Labour MP Mark Tammy, who was a spokesperson for the Parliamentary Work Sponsor Body, which was set up to help with the process of decanting both houses that has since been abolished, but more of that later. So starting with you, Alexandra, you wrote a thesis on the Restoration and Renewal Programme. Can you tell us, you know, April 2023, where exactly are we with the plans to kind of refurbish and, and, and fix up Parliament? Well, the crucial point is we're kind of going backwards. We're, we're not really much further forward than we have been, you know, at any point over the last five years, really. It's five years since Parliament took the decision to, to move out entirely and commit to a major restoration programme. And obviously that hasn't started yet. As you mentioned, the key governance body that was set up to, to manage this project has been abolished. So the programme is now under new management and is now considering the way forward. But it's a crucial year for restoration and renewal because MPs and peers have said that, you know, this year they will finally sort of come back to the table, think about new options to do this work ahead of a vote on what to do next in 24-25. So this mm. year they really need to to narrow down and make a decision again on what they're going to do. Yeah, Ruth, can you just talk to us a little bit about why making a decision, whatever the decision is, is is so important. The palace is a grade one listed UNESCO World Heritage Site. It's burned down once before a long time ago, but there are lots of fears it's going to burn down again. There's been you know, people saying that it could be Britain's Notre Dame and that sort of stuff. Why is it kind of so important that fixing Parliament does get done? Well, basically because the, the building has and, and the, the infrastructure systems inside it have, have outlived their working life. And there is now a considerable risk to the safety of the building, to the possibility of, of a fire risk. I mean, they've done an awful lot in the last few years to put in new sprinkler systems to reduce the risk. But, you know, the clerk of the House of Commons, when you appeared before the Public Accounts Committee recently, made clear that the risk to life has been reduced somewhat as a result of those measures, but the risk to the building is still very high. And obviously, the longer this goes on and the, the work isn't done, the greater the, the risk will be. It's not just fire. I mean, that is the biggest concern, I think, that the house authorities have. But it's also a risk that the sewage system will fundamentally fail. Yep. The risk of major asbestos leaks. We've had asbestos incidents on the estate. Yeah, about 120 people were exposed to asbestos last year, weren't they? Yeah, there have been, I think, dozens of incidents over the over recent years. It's apparently one of the, the buildings with one of the greatest amounts of asbestos in it, simply because the size of the, of the building itself, the size of the, the footplate of the palace. If you have an asbestos leak, I mean, you are facing, depending on what happens, what type of asbestos it is, you can be facing a health risk that has to be yeah. monitored over decades. So, you know, there's a risk not just to the parliamentarians, but to the public that are on site and the staff as well. And then it's just basic things as a workplace. It is not a pleasant place to be. I mean, it is a building site if you're, in, if you're going yeah. inside it and sort of wandering around. The committee rooms, the corridors. I was in a meeting a few weeks ago and the neighbouring committee room had water pouring down the rock the wall. I've sat in meetings in the House of Lords with mice running around my feet. It is just yep. deeply unpleasant. Yeah, I was in, I was covering the chamber when water started pouring into the Commons chamber in the middle of a debate a couple yeah. of years ago. So I know all about it. But Mark, as I was saying, you were 
other part of this this sponsor body that was the, the joint committee produced a report in 2018 that recommended the full decant using Richmond House for the Commons and the House of Lords moving to the QE2 centre over from Parliament. It was approved by both houses and this body was set up to kind of manage the project like the London Olympics, but it, it never happened. And, and as Alexandra said, it's since been abolished. Can you explain how that happened, basically, and, and, and what you were part of that, that process, you know, how we got to this point? Yeah, well, I've been part of the process since the very beginning i'm sort of the uh, lifer on it really in terms of <laughs> so you're to blame is that what you're, is that you're saying Mark? off the good good behavior but obviously not right the... but you've stuck it around yeah no and i think we really need to look at why we went for that structure in the first place which was as you say the sponsor body a, de- a de- delivery authority as well on the olympics model because what it was recognized is this is going to be a project that's going to go across a number of parliament the reason that model was chosen was to stop politicians getting back involved, saying, oh, no, we want to change this, we want to change that. Unfortunately, that hasn't held together because the sponsor body, I would argue, did the job it was asked to do, which was to come up with a plan and also some broad costings, what that would cost. And unfortunately, that didn't go down particularly well because the problem is people want to do it, but they want to do it at far less cost, take far less time and stay in there. The only slight problem is though all those three things don't actually work very well together. Yeah, that sounds like magical. Sounds like magical thinking, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's, that you really... that's the problem of where we are. And, and clearly, we have brought it in in house, and you can argue the merits of that one way or the other. But at some point, and hopefully sooner rather than later, we do have to face Parliament up with a fairly stark choice, I would say, about what road we're going to go down and the cost and time and safety implications of choosing one option as opposed to another one. But if we're still going to be in this loop of, well, we want it to cost a lot less and we want it to be be done in quarter of an hour and we can all stay in, then I don't think that magic wand exists. Yeah. So just explain, Alexandra, where we are to now, I suppose, with that body being established and it's been brought back in-house as a new body. Just explain what that new body is. And to and the uninitiated, it looks like they're simply repeating the work that was done initially. Are they, you know, they're doing more work. Are they going to come up with any different answers, essentially? Or or, or we're we going to come up with the same answers, which is that MPs and peers need to leave the palace for, in order for the work to be done in the right way? Well, that's really the, the story of restoration renewal over the last decade. It's let's have another report, let's have another inquiry, let's have another investigation to see if there's any way of doing this that doesn't require moving out and spending a lot of money. And that Mm. report and that investigation will take another year or another 18 months and puts off the decision even longer. But it really is, you know, as you mentioned earlier, magical thinking to think there will be a way of doing this that will say will cost less money, will take less time, will involve not moving out of the palace. Every time you have another report, you have another request to look at this again, the whole project becomes even more complicated because all the time you're putting it off, the building is deteriorating and the work is becoming more complex and more expensive. Not to mention the £2 million a week that is being spent just on maintenance, just trying to keep the building running. You know, doing nothing is not the cheap option and it's certainly not a free option. So where the project is in terms 
terms of management, say it's come back in-house and we have a new restoration and renewal client board. So this is going to be the client body that's overseeing the project, led by the Speaker of the Commons and the Lord Speaker. They're supposed to be sort of running this, you know, deciding what's going to happen with the commissions of both houses, the governing bodies there. So it's really MPs and peers taking on this project themselves. And then a new mm. programme board as well, led by the uh, Deputy Speaker in the Commons, Nigel Evans. So again, parliamentarians are taking control of this project, which, as mentioned, is problematic because... They're here for you know, a limited time period. No parliament can bind its successor. This is one of the eternal problems of R&R. So decisions taken in one parliament you know, can't be expected to last through to the next one. And that's a real yeah. issue if you have parliamentarians you know, running the project, which is why the original governance model was set up to take that out of the hands of politicians. Yeah, Mark, you, you like you said you're a lifer on this kind of stuff. You're not sort of tearing your hair out a little bit with this kind of stuff. And, and perhaps with some of the colleagues, perhaps on the benches, next to you on the benches, opposite potentially, you know, and the fact that it's now being, instead of being taken away from them, so it's not their decision, it is now going to come back to their decision. I've read some of your speeches and debates on this kind of stuff over the years, and that kind of that, that sense perhaps comes through, I think, from some of your, from your contributions. Are you not sort of a little bit tearing your hair out with some of your colleagues? Yeah. Yes, I am, but I can understand it at the same at the same time. But as I've said, there is yeah. not a magical solution. There is not an yeah. easy solution that you can somehow placate everybody. And there is never going to be a good time to do this. You know, the public are not going to be dancing on the street saying went with placards saying, What do we want? R and R, when do we want it now? <laughs> I mean, I mean, oh, what a glorious not, world that would be in. That what a glorious world that would be. You're gonna have people complaining about spending money on politicians at a time of the cost of living crisis, you know, blah, all the other have have all that. But, you know, this is a World Heritage Site building. It's something that we've got to preserve one way or the other. And we just need to actually get on with it. The problem is you can change the, the structure, the body as much as you like, but if you end up with the same answer, what do you do again? I mean, I, I've said it before that I used to work with someone who, if he got legal advice he didn't like, he used to say to me, get another lawyer. And that's a bit like what we're doing now. You know, we're just asking the same question, but somehow expecting a different answer. And at some point, we really have to just, you know, say, look, we have looked at every option. You know, I could be on here for hours saying how much time we spend looking at, you know, a glass box on Horse Guards Parade or a bar. Oh, there was, wasn't there a, float, a floating a floating chamber on the Thames? Yeah. Of, you know, there's all sorts of, of options that were looked at. And, and we ended up with Richmond House. Why? Because it's next door. You could incorporate it in the security arrangements. Mm. But we are, again, you know, looking at the various options. And look, clearly anything is possible. You could somehow create something where you could stay in. And some people may say, well, it's all very well for you to say you don't want to stay in because you, you've been an MP for 20-odd years and you've uh, done your time in there and it's not fair on others. But look, these are difficult decisions without easy answers, but we are going to have to address them. Otherwise, if something mm. terrible happened, either a loss of life or the building burnt down, people will be saying, well, why on earth have you been wasting all this time for, for years enable gazing and, and asking yourself the same questions? 
Yeah, Ruth, just on that though, can you just talk us through some of the, what those different options are, apart from the full decant, there was some stuff about you take the commons out first and then fix one side, then take the lords out and then fix the other side. And what was the, the difference in there in terms of the time scale and the cost in doing those options? Because I know you've been an advocate of the full decant because it's kind of the quickest, the cheapest and the, the sort of easiest option. What are those other, other ones that, that could be done as well? Well, when the, um, the sponsor body published the options report, I think it was in 2021, they essentially had three options. So the full decan, cheapest sort of possibility was about 7 billion. Upper end of the, the, the spectrum was 13 billion for a full decan. So if essentially both houses move out, moving to temporary accommodation for a period of, you know, a decade or more. The work for that for a full decan, the scope was for anything from 19 to 28 years. So a very long period of time. And that's part of the problem. MPs who are in Parliament, you know, political careers are not as long as they used to be. And MPs don't want to find themselves in a situation where they spend much of their parliamentary career not in the building, not in the Palace of Westminster. There was then a suggestion of partial decant. So one house moves out. The Commons moves into the House of Lords, for example, and the, the work goes on around them. That increases the bill from something between nine and a half billion to eighteen and a half billion, but it also extends the time it takes to do the work from twenty-six years at the lower end of the spectrum to potentially forty-three years at the at the upper end. I mean, it's a considerable, you know, range. extraordinary, yeah. And then. You know, the one that a lot of MPs would like, which is, as Mark was saying, not to leave the palace at all and for the work to sort of be a rolling programme of works going on around them, no decant, as it's called, is that bill then increases to, at the lower end of the spectrum, 11 billion, but possibly as high as 22 billion. And the length of time that would take is anything from 46 years to 76 years. That is just... (sighs) That, that is just ridiculous. I mean, can you imagine running our national legislature in the middle of a building site for potentially half a century? Yeah, I've been there for five years and it's, it's been a building site for five years. It's pretty awful. So that times 10 would be worse, a lot worse yeah, than that. And, and, you know, the tolerance for noise, for disruption, for dust. And it'll only take one problem, one disaster in terms of the mechanical and engineering or an asbestos leak or whatever. And they'll have to vacate for a period of time. And then the question is, well, where do they go? What do they do? So yeah. you know, the, the options that the sponsor body put forward, all the, the uh, advice of the technical experts is that the level of risk of staying on the estate is so high that really it, it's beyond what, what's acceptable. And bear in mind, you know, what, what's the role of the public in this? This is our parliament. You know, We've got to have access to it as well as parliamentarians. They're sort of temporary custodians yeah. of it, but it's our building as well. And the likelihood is that the public wouldn't have much, if any, access at all for decades. Yeah, well, absolutely. And Alexandra, can you explain, Mark's touched on it, there are some MPs who don't want to go, but can you explain why five years down the line we are in exactly the same place? And can can you give us a sense of whether five years' time, if we did this podcast again, will we have moved any further in five years, do you think? I mean, let's hope so. I really hope as well, yeah, that we have moved forward. Obviously, the the worst case scenario is that we've gone further backwards and the catastrophe has occurred. As Ruth mentioned, you know, the, the M&E, the mechanical electrical services serving the building have passed their lifespan. And, you know, many mm. MPs and peers, you know, have told me that, you know, they've gone into the basement, they've seen the state of the building. They're amazed that, you know, we haven't had the catastrophe yet. 
you know, Andrea Ledson as leader of the Commons has said, you know, that really you know, we've been lucky that there you know, hasn't been yeah. a loss of life yet. So, you know, if we get to, to five years and the catastrophe hasn't happened, then, you know, things things are going well. But I'm, I'm not hopeful that we will be, you know, much further forward. And I think one of the fundamental problems is that, you know, part of the, the issues in the building are hidden. So for many MPs, you know, you, you can see that the building isn't doing well, but you're not in the basement. You're not seeing the problem with the, the pipes, the wires, everything crammed into these small spaces. And so you think, OK, we can just go a little bit longer. We can put it off. We can make it somebody else's problem. But because for 90% of MPs, 95%, 99%, they didn't come to Parliament to fix the building, to fix the Palace of Westminster. You know, they have so many yeah. other priorities. You know, they're there to serve their constituents. They're there to, to legislate, to, to hold the government to account. So they don't want to have to be spending their time thinking about the building. And so that's, you know, is a real issue in engaging members with the issue that's, that's at hand. There's also not much appetite for, for changing anything in Parliament. So the idea is that, you know, you might end up spending these billions and billions of pounds to you know, end up with the building being exactly the same. <laughs> Which, of course, is what happened after the Second World War, wasn't it? They built it to the same sort of specimen after it was bombed in the war. Completely. And so you get, if you have a, if you're a politician and you think, well, actually, Parliament doesn't work for me, it's not very inclusive, you know, the building promotes a certain type of politics, there's very few people actually thinking, well, let's change the palace itself. Yeah. Let's think of how we could do things differently. And so there's not much incentive to actually fix the building because they say it's only only this fear of the catastrophe and I've had MPs say to me well it hasn't happened so far so maybe it's all just overblown maybe it's it's not actually as bad as everybody says we don't have to decide yet it can be the next mm. the next generation's problem yeah, Mark, I've been down in the base. Chris Bryant, one of your Labour colleagues who used to do sort of on restoration, took me down there. And it's, it's an absolute mess down there. You know, it is an accident waiting to happen. Not to be too pessimistic, but do you think potentially that perhaps if we are looking for things to move move along, would it take something catastrophic to happen for minds to be changed? And, and, and it, would it almost be, you know, hopefully not too late at that point, but, you know? I, I clearly hope, hope not, but, uh, yeah. you know, I don't want to get into a position where something fire or a tragedy yeah. you know we've had some close shades with masonry falling off the building and smashing yeah. a car I mean, that was at norman shore north wasn't it a few years ago yeah. you know so i mean there are all sorts of issues like that and it's clear that you only get away with that for a certain amount of time before you know something more serious could actually happen and and, and i think what you do get and you know alexandra touched on this is some colleagues who say, well, you know, they've done the Queen Elizabeth Tower, they're doing Victoria, they've done all these bits. Well, that's all fine. We can just carry on doing that. 70% of the cost is actually below ground. And even like this option of, well, the commons can move to the lords, they share common systems. Yeah. The basements go all the way along, don't they? Yeah. You'd have to replicate the electrics, the sewage, the everything. You'd have to have something outside, no doubt, some great big temporary system outside or a barge on the other side, which everyone would say, oh, this looks terrible. This looks absolutely terrible. I mean, the, the amount of fuss we had about the scaffolding, about how dreadful the Queen Elizabeth Tower looked. And this gets back to the crux of the problem, which is, yes, everyone agrees we've got to do it, but either we, we, we can't notice any sort of change and, and we can't possibly spend any money on it. Well that doesn't necessarily work. And what particularly 
worries me. You, if you sort of touched on, are we further behind? Are we a bit further ahead? The big elephant in the room is that we were looking at the QE2 centre to house the Lords. Michael Gove said that isn't happening. And we were looking at Richmond House for the Commons. Well, again, that's not quite as clear set as it, as, as it was. So if we are moving out, where are we going? I was going to bring Ruth in on some of those kind of options. We've had lots over the year, lots of suggestions, some more serious than others. But just before I move on, just on the cost, though, because a lot of the, the, the anguish over the sponsor body stuff was the, the suggestion that perhaps some of those costs were too high. Do you understand, obviously, we're now in a cost of living crisis. Things are perhaps worse economically than they were perhaps two years ago uh, on that front. Do you, do you understand the concerns? Yeah, yeah, I, I clearly do. But there are not... You know, you know all this. I mean, Jacob Rees-Mogg used to talk about gold plating. We're gold, or we're, or we're creating Disneyland. Apparently, <laughs> to me, uh, if you put the building back exactly as it was, that might appeal to certain people. But if it was your own home and you could make some improvements at virtually, you know, a very little extra cost, well, that's clearly what you would do. And there are issues clearly with disability access that you can do. I don't yeah. think you can do 100% is my view, but you could improve things, better lift, you know, some of the stairs you possibly don't need. I think you could do some fairly good work on that. And if you're going to lose some space, why not try to win some back with, you know, an atrium between some of the buildings or something? Now, some people would say that's a waste of money. In my view, that isn't a waste of money and it's a sensible investment to actually improve the building, not only for MPs and Lords, but, but for the people that actually work there and for the public who come to visit the place. And, and I think it would be madness to actually not take those opportunities and do them, because obviously if you decide in 20 years' time to retrofit something, it always costs far more money than if you actually did it at the, at the time. I suppose what I'm saying is there isn't like this really cheap alternative hiding behind a cupboard somewhere that we can just pull out and it will all be fine. The longer you take, the more you're spending on just patching up and making do. Some of the safety things that we've actually done, which are perfectly sensible and I support, you're going to have to rip out when you yeah. do the overall yeah, thing anyway. And it's it's a waste of money. R Ruth, we talked about Richmond House. It's obviously where the Department for Health used to be just along Whitehall. Apparently 70 million quid has already been spent preparing plans to rebuild it. I remember seeing models of it in, in PCH. It was, I think I've written some stories about the Red Lion, the pub, the famous pub was going to be closed to the public so it would be removed inside the secures. And that was one of the kind of issues with it. But you know, it seemed like that was, a for a long time, it seemed like a viable option. And there was stories about moving the House of Lords to York. I think back in January, the leader of the House of Commons, Penny Morden, suggested Parliament should tour the UK during a refurbishment. Even the press gallery looked at temporary offices and in Millbank, that sort of stuff. But, you know, so what are those kind of options and how close, how likely do you think any of those might be, really? Well, I mean, as, as Mark said, it's unclear if Parliament does move out where it's going to move to now because the Richmond House and the QE2 centre options have at least stalled in terms of development, possibly off the table completely if the government continues to say that Kini 2 Centre can't be used, for example. My fear is I think we're going to end up in, because of the sheer sort of scale of the, the cost and the unwillingness of the parliamentarians to grapple with it and to really make a decision and the inability to make that stick. Remember, we're coming up to a general election. You know, decisions made in this parliament, will they stick in the next parliament, for example? 
my fear is that we'll end up with a rolling schedule of works, which will, you know, yeah. ameliorate things, but won't fundamentally alter the big choices that are going to have to be faced, or we're going to have some kind of disaster. The other thing to bear in mind in all of this, of course, is that the MPs have, you know, they've brought the governance back in house now, but they've got power without responsibility because if the place does burn down or somebody is killed by falling masonry, it's not the MPs who are going to be up in court on charges of corporate manslaughter. It's going to be the clerks of both houses. They're the corporate officers. I think they're incredibly uh, courageous, if I can use that phrase, to accept this burden of responsibility when ultimately it's right. the MPs who are sort of running the direction of this. But my concern is that we'll end up with a rolling program of works. We may get some element of a return to the virtual parliament that we had during the pandemic and the use of technology and an extended period of recess. So they sort of extend the period of recess for three months, for example, to, to, to enable more work to take place. But of course, that benefits the government of the day. You know, you won't be able to recall Parliament. If Parliament's not sitting for three months a year, that's, you know, that's letting the government off the hook for in terms of scrutiny and accountability for a considerable period of time. The virtual Parliament had many, many advantages, but it was also a somewhat easier ride for ministers. So yeah. that would be my fear, that if they do move in that direction, there are some real consequences in terms of government accountability that, that we may have to face. Yeah, Alexander, do you, what do you think about that that option? Do you think that's where some of it might go? Because at least then it kind of moves responsibility away from any one set of MPs because the works take so long and, and the costs are sort of passed out over such a long period of time that essentially no one has to be the one who grasps the nettle. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Ruth. You know, I think we will end up with this rolling programme of works. But I think there's more magical thinking taking place. The idea that you could cancel the September sittings, which have long been unpopular with many MPs, and then and do the works then, when we know that the scale, the complexity of the works, you know, they're not something that could be fit into a summer. You know, it's not a three-month yeah. piece of work. Yeah, if you're ripping walls out, you can't just suddenly put stuff back for an hour and then, or a month and then bring it back again, you know? Exactly. Dave David Goldstone, the chair of the Delivery Authority, told the Public Accounts Committee in February that just to deal with the asbestos challenge alone, it would take 300 people working for two and a half years on an empty building. This isn't a summer recess job. This isn't something you can fit in around, you know, sittings of the Commons. Just to get rid of the asbestos, you need an empty palace for two and a half years and 300 people working on it. So, you know, there will be scope where you can do something by, say, having a touring parliament, having longer recesses. But again and again, every time experts have been asked, you know, can you do this work without moving out entirely, without having a huge amount of risk and it costing a lot? They've said, no, you will still have to move out, you know, for a long period of time. Yeah, I spoke to Meg Hilly, who's the chair of the Public Accounts Committee. And she said, you know, it's a classic example of political musical chairs. Everyone thinks they won't be standing still when the music stops. But, you know, someone's going someone's gonna to be standing, aren't they, at the end, Mark? And I suppose it's what happens at that point and, and where do you want to be at that point when, when the music does stop? Yeah, and, and look, this, this isn't something that's just happened in the last five or six or seven years. This basically you can you can look at some of the problems and it's things that jobs that were done 70 years ago the roof wasn't fixed properly after the bombing in the second world war it was bodged the electrics were bodged in the 50s the sewage mm. you know this is something because as i said at the beginning there will never be a good time to do this there will never be a time when everyone's on the same page 
and that's why that particular structure was chosen. And I, you know, I have said before, I had major concerns about moving it back in in house because, look, I can understand MPs who who have just come to the house, and if someone says to them, "Oh, you're never going to sit in the chamber of the House of Commons," they're not going to be that happy. I fully understand that, but we're going to have to make a decision that sometimes, otherwise, we end up with the long-term maintenance, patching this, patching that, costing a fortune overall. But some people see that as well. No one will really notice because we're only spending a certain amount of money or you throw um, discount rates at them, which is a great way of confusing people about how much money costs now compared to 70 years' time or something. Right, yeah, yeah. But what you can't run away from is if you're going to do it properly, it's going to take a long time and it's going to cost a lot of money. And I haven't seen one estimate that says you can do it cheaper by having some sort of combination of staying in than by moving out. So let's not pretend yeah. there is one because there isn't. Yeah, well, just before we wrap up then, it's quite pessimistic about a lot of this kind of stuff and we're seeing all the, the problems that's going on. Just go around all three of you. Is there any any signs of, of hope that things might get a bit fixed? I'll start with you, Ruth. Any, any, have you got any reason for optimism or, or not? You're looking at me as if there isn't any reason for optimism, I suppose. Not, not a lot. I mean, I think I think a lot will depend upon what happens at the next general election. You know, if you've got a government yeah. with a with a pretty big majority, and you know, particularly, I think if it's a changing government. I think the Labour Party has been more supportive of this in principle, and has certainly voted more heavily for it than as the Conservative Party. But they were voting in opposition; they didn't have the responsibility for the finances. So once you're in government, it's a it's a whole different matter. There's, you know, possibilities there, but my my fear is that, no, we will just trundle on and nobody will be willing to essentially grip this and make a decision and, and make it stick. Alexandra? So I think there's there's possible, you know, some some causes for optimism. At first, I'd say that there are amazing staff who are keeping the show on the road, in the palace, on the parliamentary estate, and they're doing amazing work, keeping the building safe, keeping the visitors safe, keeping members safe, and everybody working there. And I think that should, you know, really be applauded. And you know, the clerks of the house have been very, both houses have been very clear about, you know, the need for the work to be done. So there are people who are really grappling with it and are trying to, you know, keep this issue on the agenda. So that's definitely a cause for optimism. I think the the current leader of the House seems more open to, you know, possible, you know, doing things differently. You know, she has mentioned, say, using more virtual contributions, possibly electronic voting. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to see if that will go anywhere. But compared to, you know, some of her predecessors who were, you know, very opposed to doing anything differently, it's great that there's yeah. somebody with a bit more of an open mind so you know maybe maybe there are some causes for optimism but as you say maybe in five years time we'll still be having the same conversation <laughs> quite possibly mark and well, as you said you know, you've been involved in this stuff for a long time do you do you feel that a sort of a responsibility i suppose to try and get this stuff moving and, and if, if you know there is a change of parliament if, if labor do get into government and there's a, perhaps a big changeover in mps as well perhaps things might be be different then is that the sort of thing you want to be impressing on you know keir starmer as he becomes prime minister that actually this is something that he does need to focus on you know and, and that all mps need to focus on much more yeah and i i would hope and i'd i'd said for some time although this is a project in London it shouldn't be a London centric project and there are great opportunities to train a lot of lot of people through this get a lot of businesses from around the country you know much mm. like after the second world war with the chamber with the commonwealth putting 
input in to make Parliament back the building safe and secure for the future. So I, I, I would try to turn it around, saying, no, this, this, this can be a really positive thing for our uh, economy, and not just seen as some, you know, cost for Parliament spending money on its, on, on itself. I hope that come the end of the year. Parliament will have to make its mind up, you know, between either one yeah. option or two options or how many options are actually come up with and, and really face up with it. What I fear is, as has been mentioned before, what actually comes through is, you know what, why don't we have another look at this? Why don't we have another review? Because things yeah. have changed and things will always change. And let's have another review and let's spend a year doing that and then come back again and see see what that says. Ben, I think I really will be trying to break out of my life sentence to to because I don't <laughs> think I can I don't think I can go much more of that. Thank you very much. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster at politicsome.com and keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day week newsletters by clicking on the link in the top right-hand corner of the website. Thanks again to my guests, Ruth Fox, Alexander Meekin and Mark Tammy. Thanks to you all again for listening. Please subscribe where you your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at politicshome or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown.